Well, hello, everybody, and thanks so much for tuning in to this week's episode of The Bible Breakdown. If you haven't listened, if well, if you didn't listen last week, this is your first week with the new music. So shout out to Nick Hill for putting that together. And uh, I'm just going to be honest with you all. This has been a very challenging season, challenging day of ministry for me. And um, I just really got to experience the Lord's encouragement through um, a fellow believer who, in a, I think only because the Holy Spirit prompted this person to reach out, um, was just able to give me a, a huge breath of, of fresh air, um, just water to my soul in that. And I just want to be transparent with y'all. There's difficult times for me, and I know the same is true for you. Um, today was just a great reminder of how the Lord takes care of us for me. Um, and I hope that you'll be encouraged in that way as well. Or if, you know, maybe the Lord's calling someone to mind, like, oh, maybe I should text that person, reach out to that person. Um, I know I've had those experiences where I'm like, ah, well, whatever, maybe I'll do it tomorrow. And then you never do and you forget, but you never know how the Lord's going to use those little promptings or those little reminders of, oh, maybe I should reach out to this person as I've been a great beneficiary of that today. I just wanted to share that with y'all. I hope that if you're in a difficult time that you have people around you that can be an encouragement to you. I hope that if you're in a position to be an encourager, that you would take that opportunity, but all of that, all glory to God in that, that he sustains us through these things. And he, um, he's looking out for us, even in times where it, it seems very, very difficult. So I just felt prompted to share that with y'all. I hope that um, by peeling back the curtain a little bit, you can be reminded that um, that's who our God is in times, even when it feels very far away, when he feels far away, even at times that he's, uh, he's working and he's using these things for our good. So with that being said, we are going to jump back into Revelation today. We're going to be in chapters two and three. And uh, also, this may be the last Bible breakdown for a little bit, because as many of you know, my wife, Caitlin, is very pregnant and we are expecting a little one sometime next week. So we may be on a little bit of a hiatus over the next couple of weeks. Um, so if that is the case and you don't hear from me, that you can just go ahead and assume that is what happened. But for now, we're going to keep going in chapters two and three. So I just want to give a brief reminder for um, anyone who didn't hear last week's, we kind of talked about Revelation in general and how we're going to approach it. Um, just a couple of things. Uh, in the first chapter, it says, blessed is the one who read these words aloud. And um, so we realize that it's important for us to uh, read Revelation, even though it's confusing. But let's be clear. It's the person who reads these words, not the one who correctly interprets all the signs in it. Okay, very figurative book, lots of signs, lots of I don't knows. So not going to try to um, make a definitive statement on things that aren't definitive. That's going to be kind of my goal. Um, we're going to leave things that are um, not 100% clear. We're going to leave them that way, not only because um, we don't want to be fast and loose with interpreting God's word and landing firmly on things that are difficult to understand, but also we don't got the time to go through all these things, right? Okay, so that's kind of one part. And then theme, something we can hold on to throughout this whole book. Jesus is coming back and he's going to make all things right. Jesus is going to win in the end. 
That's what this book's about. It's about Jesus. Jesus revealed it to John. Okay, that's what Revelation's about. Um, and we need to see it through the lens of Jesus is going to return. He's going to make all things right. Jesus is coming back. And then what it means for us. All of these things we're going to read, it's all based around we are called to be faithful in the midst of the waiting until he comes back in whatever situation. So today what we're going to look at is um, he has John write letters to seven individual churches all in that Asia Minor uh, area back then uh, toward the close of the first century AD. And uh, he's going to write some very specific things to them and we're going to read them and we're going to see what he had to say and, and what that means for us by the end. So uh, we will be in verse uh, chapter two. I'm going to start by reading the letter to the church at Ephesus. Um, I'm going to read just verses two through five there. It says, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. But this I have against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. Okay, so this first letter, church in Ephesus, Jesus commends them. Hey, y'all have done a great job of enduring. Um, you've been able to root out those who say they're apostles, say they are coming in my name, and they are not. Uh, you found them to be false. Um, you've been defending things for my name's sake. Um, he's giving them a lot of credit for how they have uh, had endurance for the name of Jesus and his truth and the truth of his message. But they were lacking in one place. They were lacking in the love they have. So um, there's a couple of ways we might uh, understand what he means when when he talks about the love they had at first. Um, it could be their love for one another. So maybe they are really you know, keeping the truth safe, but they are not showing uh, Christian love to one another. That could be it. Um, or it could be the love that they had for Jesus. Maybe their legalism, maybe, or maybe it had turned to legalism. Um, and instead of being based out of a love for Christ, it had become sort of a more antagonistic ministry um, just to make sure that no one was there. And this we would think of as legalism. So in the midst of that, what Jesus calls them to is to repent uh, or else uh, it says at the end of verse five, I actually didn't read it. It says, I'll come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Um, Jesus may, uh, if they don't repent, that as a judgment, their ministry may be taken from them in Ephesus, that they may not have the fruitful ministry they've had. So the first church we see in Ephesus um, is called to not only is to called to continue to endure, but to do so with a heart of love. And that is what it appears to be missing, whether it be for one another or it be for Jesus. Um, perhaps both of those are true at the same time. So that's what the first church is called to in Ephesus. So the second one we have is the church in Smyrna. Everybody's familiar with Smyrna, right? One of the many churches in this list that we had not heard of probably before. Ephesus is probably the only one that really gets a good run. Um, but this is what he, John writes to the people of Smyrna that Jesus has given him to say, uh, starting in verse nine says, I know your tribul tib we'll, we'll try that again, tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich and the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. 
Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. And for 10 days you'll have tribulation. Be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. So what he's saying to this church is that they've endured a lot of difficulty, a lot of tribulation. As hard as it was for me to get out, it was probably harder for them to go through that tribulation. Uh, And apparently this church experienced poverty as well. And he gives them this little um, parenthetical statement, but you are rich, you know, he's referring to the spiritual wealth that they have in Jesus. Um, So recognizing, I see that you've gone through poverty, but just so you know, as far as the way that things really matter, you're rich because you are a follower of me, you are in me. So he tells them, don't fear what you're about to suffer. And he gives them a little, uh, a little taste of what is about to happen. He's saying that Pierce, some of their members are perhaps going to be thrown into prison um, and that they will have a difficult time, um, but he encourages them to be faithful even unto death. So this is a church that had had faithfulness, they'd had difficulty. Um, He wants them to continue to be faithful. He's warning them of this impending imprisonment and that there's going to be more tribulation. He wants them to remain faithful in the midst of it. So that is what Jesus has to say to the second church in Smyrna. I will go ahead and take this time to point out, you'll notice that if you're reading along, that um, at the end of each of these paragraphs, he has some sort of, um, you know, I will give you a crown of life um, or some sort of like kind of reward. Um, And the one before it says, one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life. That's one of those, um, one of those symbols or one of those um, things that require maybe a little bit of uh, interpretation that I'm just going to leave there and not take an attempt at. But I think what is important is the one who's faithful um, will have reward. Okay. So as we reach, uh, as we go through all of these, and as we reach the end of each of these paragraphs, um, we see this uh, language of reward and um, from Jesus on the other side of faithfulness of repentance. Uh, So just keep that in mind as we go through, though, again, I'm going to be skipping over those sake of time and what we talked about at the beginning. So um, the next one we have is everybody's favorite Pergamum. So to the letter or to the church in Pergamum, Jesus had John say, and this is starting in verse 13 of chapter two, says, I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. Yet you hold fast my name, and you did not deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was killed among you where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel, so that they might eat food sacrificed to idols and practice sexual immorality. So, um... For those of you who are um, scholars of the book of, I believe it's in the book of Numbers, when we get um, Balaam's donkey, um, I Balaam is this character who um, talks to a donkey. That's basically what happens. And uh, it's he's going to do this deed that's going to be, um, I think, I've, I, I should have looked it up before. I believe that somebody has called for him to cast a curse upon the um, people of Israel. And so um, God has the donkey that he's riding um, stop stubbornly, and then he beats the donkey, and the donkey uh, talks to him. So it's a very funny, interesting story from 
uh, from the Old Testament that um, is also mentioned in Second Peter. He mentioned that. So he's using this as an example um, because he was going to set a stumbling block in front of the people of Israel. It was not the same as the one he's talking about here, but um, he's basically saying that this is the type of this is the type that you're following is Balaam who taught Balak to put a stumbling block in front of the sons of Israel. So that's who, what that reference is there. In case you were like, where do I know those names from? That is where you know them from. And uh, so for this group in Pergamum, he says they live in a diff- difficult place. That's what I gather from that, that it's that where Satan's throne is. Apparently a lot of influence of Satan in the church that they're in. Uh, it says, but they hold fast to the name of Jesus, and they didn't deny his name even when things were very difficult. And so we see here this person, Antipas. Uh, and also, if you're thinking the name Antipas is familiar, um, one of the Herods was Herod Antipas. This is not the same. Uh, this was a faithful witness. Herod Antipas was not. Um, and apparently he was martyred uh, amongst the church here in Pergamum. So he said even in those times um, that they were faithful. And he recognized that. Um, however, the thing they have done wrong is when, which comes this reference to Balaam, um, is that they are putting a stumbling block in front of the Jewish believers. Okay. So, and he specifically mentions food sacrifice to idols and the practice of sexual immorality. So, um, in Acts and Paul's going to write about it also in, I think one of the Corinthians letters, um, a big issue with the combining of the Jews and the Gentiles into one body, which we've talked a great deal about. Um, one of the most practical difficulties was this food sacrifice to idols. So in the marketplace where you might just buy, you know, your grocery store, so to speak, um, the meat there may have been sacrificed to idols. So there were some uh, Jewish believers who didn't feel comfortable eating the food that had been sacrificed to idols uh, because they didn't want to be participating in any sort of idolatry. Okay. Um, Whereas the Gentiles, that's, what they knew. That's what they knew as far as how they got their meat. So Paul encourages the believers to a couple of things. First, for those who are feeling like they can't eat this meat sacrificed to idols, he's saying there's freedom in that. He's telling these believers there is freedom in that. But on the other end, he said there are going to be some people whose conscience forbids them. And he's saying that's okay. And if you are with somebody or you know somebody, somebody in your body of believers is one of these people, then don't put a stumbling block in front of them by serving them meat that was sacrificed to idols or, you know, maybe even buying meat that was sacrificed to idols in front of them. He's saying there's freedom in that. You're not doing anything wrong. You're doing something wrong if it puts somebody else in a place to stumble against their conscience and conviction. Okay. So that is what he is. This is the same kind of issue most likely that's represented here by what Jesus is saying to this church in Pergamum is they are being uh, dismissive of perhaps that that difficulty that some of the Jews are facing as far as the practice of sexual immorality. I mean, nobody should be doing that. So um, he's, I guess they're putting that stumbling block in front of the Jews. Maybe they're coming out of, you know, a more um, culture that is more okay with sexual immorality. So for them, it's like an area of growth, but for the Jews, it's becoming now a, a difficulty. And so that's his one, that's his things with the church in Pergamum that they're doing. So those are the issues there in Pergamum. So moving on then to Thyatira, another fun name. Uh, In verse 19 and 20, it says, I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. 
But this I have against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat foods sacrificed to idols. Okay, so we're dealing with a similar um, issue here, but we'll start with what they are doing well. Man, they've got a pretty nice list of uh, good things that they are doing here. We've got love, faith, service, endurance, patience. It's a pretty, that's a pretty good list, a uh, thing that you would love to have in your corner as a list of things you're doing well. And he's basically saying your latter words, works exceed the first. So they're like growing in this. So it's not just like they had these things. It's like they have them and they're growing in abundance. But as with most of these, there's a but. So apparently there's this um, prophetess, this false prophetess named Jezebel, who is um, gaining a following and is um, leading people to these same things, practice sexual immorality, to eat this food sacrifice to idols. Most likely, again, when it is, um, you know, perhaps it's done in a ritual way that even Paul would agree is inappropriate, or maybe they're, you know, it's a stumbling block for those people who it's against their conscience. Um, so the people who are following her are causing these issues. So what we see later on in this paragraph is that there's a judgment that is coming for this false prophetess and for those who followed her. So what Jesus wants for these believers in Thyatira to do, um, he's talking to those who had not followed Jezebel, who had not um, adhered to what she was teaching. He tells them, just keep what, on what you're doing. He's basically like, no complaints. But for those of you who are following Jezebel, you need to repent because judgment is coming on her and the people who follow. So this call to um, turn to the, the good parts of what is going on in the church of Thyatira, these, uh, the work, the good works, the love, faith, service, patience, endurance, all those good things. He wants them to continue in those. So moving on into chapter three, we got the church in Sardis and um, in one through three, it says this, says, I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. So basically, the church in Sardis, it appears they had um, the outward, outward was excellent. So everybody looked at them, the reputation of being alive, it must be that people saw the church and thought, wow, there's a lot of life here, these good works. But Jesus says they are dead. So Jesus is saying, he says, wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die. He's saying what y'all are doing is not it only has the appearance of good works. It is not good works. He says they are not pleasing in the sight of God. They are outwardly good, but inwardly they are dead. So what he encourages them to is to remember what you received and heard. So he's probably referring to whatever you know message of the gospel, whoever delivered that message of the gospel, what they were taught when they first believed. He's saying, remember what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. So he's telling them they need to turn from these um, works that are just outwardly good, but reflect an inner reality um, that is death. He's saying that they are actually dead. So that's what he is telling to the church of Sardis. Two more left, church in Philadelphia, um, not the Pennsylvania one, um, though it does mean brotherly love. So it's still 
kind of the same there. But what he says in verses eight and nine is, I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. Okay, so Philadelphia gets probably one of the best, uh, one of the best commendations of all of the churches here um, in Revelation. Um, he just says, I know your works and the door is open to you. Um, he says, I know you have but little power. So maybe they're, you know, a, a smaller body. Maybe they you know, don't have a lot of people around them to influence. Who, who knows exactly what he means? But um, he does refer to, again, the synagogue of Satan, um, which we saw before. So this actually helps us understand what he means by that. He says, who say they are Jews and are not. So uh, I think it's reasonable to um conclude that when he refers to the synagogue of satan back there in chapter two that's probably the type of people he's talking about as well um there's also i forgot to mention this earlier but um there's a group called the nicolaitans um that is mentioned a couple of times in revelation um as a group of people that you do not want to follow that they are some sort of um i guess false teaching group i say they i guess are because we don't actually have a ton of clarity on who the Nicolaitans were at this time. So there's a few different theories out there. Again, blessed are the ones who read the books of the words of this book aloud, not the ones who correctly interpret everything in them. Right. So we're not hundred percent sure who they were. They were some group that you did not want to be a part of. That is what we are certain of. So synagogue of Satan, pretty clear. You didn't want to be a part of that, I guess, but it appears that that is um, referring then to uh, people who say they are Jews, um, but are not. So does that mean they say they hold to Judaism pre-Jesus, but don't? Or that they say they hold to Judaism post-Jesus and they don't believe in Jesus? Not sure, but they are people um, of, the, of a Jewish persuasion that are not actually true Jews. So that's what they are, um, people that are giving the people in Philadelphia difficulty, but um, Jesus encourages them, hold fast to what you're doing. And um, ultimately you are going to come out on top and it says they will learn that I've loved you. They'll see how precious his church is to him um, through their actions. So that's the church of Philadelphia. And then the final one, a fun name, Laodicea. Uh, I will read 15 through 20 on this one. It says, I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich, and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. To... Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. So Church of Laodicea, it appears they're just kind of stuck. Um, they're, I guess they're not too good and they're not too evil. They're just nice and lukewarm. I, I feel like uh, I don't have to do too much work on that for all of us. 
to understand lukewarm. It's a term I think that we throw around um, just as someone who's kind of like, meh, I don't know, whatever. But it appears the reason that this church is so lukewarm is that they have wealth, they've prospered, they need nothing. And then he refers to the, the garments and um, they think they can see, but they really need a salve to anoint their eyes. Um, this one, I think, um, ultimately, they are comfortable with the provision of the world. They are not looking at their own spiritual state. He says, you are actually pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Oh, and wretched, I missed wretched. So he said, that's the spiritual reality, but you think that because of the material possessions you have, and Jesus' dis discipline is meant for them to repent. So he's saying that the discipline that is coming to them based on this is meant for them to repent. We get this um, this great verse that um, is used often that he stands at the door and knocks anyone who opens it, he will come in and eat with him. So Jesus is there waiting. I think the church of Laodicea tends to probably be the one you read the most uh, as if you are an American Christian and say, yikes. Yep. Sounds like us. Um, this one I think is probably the most uh, poignant for our day and age. Not to say that, uh, again, not trying to project um, present day back into the scripture when it's written or to say like, oh, this is written to America. Like, no, it's written to the church in Laodicea. But I think that we can find probably the most, um, maybe the most parallels to our culture in this passage. So, all right, we got through all seven letters and you know them now and you love them and you won't do anything that you're not supposed to do. So I've accomplished my goal, but okay, not really, but we do want to apply. Uh, so we want to think, I'm going to kind of make a little summation here of all the things that we read and talk about what God would have us do in the midst of those things. So um, the first thing is to hold on to the message of Christ and not to false messages. We definitely in our world get lots of false messages coming from the world, the people that are apart from, from God. Um, there's lots of mixed messages, lots of false messages out there um, related to Jesus specifically, and then sometimes not related to Jesus. Um, Culture has such a, a hold on all of us and our and kids. So important to realize that what that culture shapes our kids so much, um, and so we have to um, counter that with the truth of the gospel um, and the things that we know are true, not the things that are true today and won't be true fifty years from now, twenty minutes from now, who knows? So holding on to the message of the gospel, not false messages, not giving into that is the first thing I think we can learn from this. And then not only to hold to that message, but to hold to truth with a heart of love, not legalism. Sometimes we can get so threatened by the false messages out there and our the way that we fight back is um, we hold rigidly to our rules and our truth um, and we don't do it with a heart of love. And that's um, what we saw early on. That was one of the problems with the churches is that they, and they, they hung in there. I think it was Ephesus. They hung in there. Um, with the truth, but they were they were not having the love for one another, love for the world, love for Jesus, maybe all three, maybe just one or two of those. Um, but that's for us, our message too, not to hold to the truth with a heart of legalism, but hold the truth with a heart of love toward one another, toward Jesus, not in that order, heart of love toward Jesus, toward others, toward the world as well. So that's, I think, another thing we see from this couple of chapters. Um, then just in the face of times when we are um, when we are in sin, when we have been led astray, when we are um, going to something that we should not be to 
like take time to repent of sin, repent to turn back and to turn from our sin, to turn to God. Um, and to know that there's forgiveness. He stands at the door and knocks. That counts from the time that we first believe to uh, the time we draw our last breath and we ask for forgiveness of sin the last time. Um, he stands at the door and knocks. He is He's ready. He's waiting for us. Um, there is not a condemnation that comes with that. There is grace upon grace because of what Jesus has accomplished. And then, as, as I kind of alluded to earlier, faithfulness is rewarded. Um It's going to be difficult in life to remain faithful to all these things, especially when there's so many uh, bad paths, bad uh, advice, bad messages we can get involved in. But ultimately, when we're faithful, even when it comes at great cost to us, um, when we are faithful, we have reward. And what that looks like is hard to really say, but we see it in Scripture. And we will probably be surprised by it. Um, but ultimately we are rewarded in that uh, all the glory goes to God and our faithfulness brings him glory. We're rewarded for it. So that is Revelation 2 and 3. There's so much we just skipped right on over and yet it still seemed like so much. So that's kind of how the book of Revelation is going to be. hope it was helpful. hope it was helped gain a little bit of understanding. But uh, what we really get to take from this is this heart to remain faithful to Jesus, not just to the, his message of truth but to his very character and to what he calls us to be in the church and in the world.